to a cat, if you know what I mean. Uh, there's been a buzz about this weekend. I, I don't know if you guys have felt it, but I've, I've felt it in talking to Clay and Sandra, and I, I felt it in talking to Sister Susan this afternoon and just kind of being around you guys, and there's just a... There's kind of a fire going on this weekend, and I, I love it, and I, I'm, I'm excited for y'all, and I'm excited to get here and be part of it, and, and, and that's what my whole purpose, and when I thought about what I was going to do, and Clay talked about me uh, coming up here this weekend, I was like, Clay, uh, I'm just going to do old, old school revival, and that song, man, bro, that's right up my alley, so uh, thank you for leading it, thank you guys for being here, thank you for the moms for bringing the youngins out, I know that's not always an easy thing to do, and uh, God is here. God is with us. He's right up in here with us, and, uh, and I hope and I know that He's being glorified by what we're doing. If you want to open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, that's what we're going to read from in just a moment. i got to say just a quick word to, to my brother Mike over there. Uh, i got some uh, what I call woods therapy today. Uh, I've had a lot of stress on my plate here lately with some things going on, and uh, i got to wait out by Waste Eater in the, how you pronounce that river? Yeah, that one. <laughs> that that one over yonder. You know what I mean? That river. Way out about waist deep. We put a chum bag in out there, and we were we were uh, pitching cane poles for mullet today. And uh, it took me a while, but uh, but I finally finally figured it out. Uh, he he may or may not have caught the lion's share, uh, but it reminds me of a story. I don't know if you guys know who Michael Jordan is, one of my favorite basketball players. But there was a there was a story told about a player that was kind of a bench warmer. And he got put in really late at the end of the game, and he got fouled, and, and he got in, and he made one free throw. And the, uh, the, the people were interviewing him after the game, he says, this is going to go down as the night that Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points together. <laughs> Michael Jordan had 69, and he had the one. So uh, Brother Mike and I, you know, may or may not have caught 15 fish today and, uh, together, right? Right? <laughs> but I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for your hospitality and and uh, taking care of me. That was a, a pile of fun and then uh, just what the Lord ordered, uh, if you know what I mean. I enjoyed our time. And, man, I, uh, young man Kendall, your grand youngin, can, can, can do a low country boil like, like none I've, I've ever experienced. That was, uh, that was some good groceries we've had tonight. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried. I'm looking for the Thanksgiving Day Acts come, uh, come Saturday, but, but right now I'm, I'm full. I want to talk to you about joy. I'm going to read the first four verses of Philippians chapter 4, and then I'm going to talk about this a little bit. And the title of our lesson tonight is How to Live with Joy, or How to Rejoice. And so he starts off in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who have labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. <coughs> rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So one thing we do at the church that I'm a part of, instead of having New Year's resolutions, what we try to do is we, we, we choose a word for the year. Because uh, my experience with New Year's resolutions is you kind of make them and you think about them, and usually by February I've done for God, and maybe I. But if, if you do a word for the year, and it's usually a character trait or some biblical topic, and so so this year my word was joy. And so I, it's a word. You know, the, the process is you study about it, you try to find passages on it. You, you know, maybe like make it your screensaver at work. You know, maybe make it something you do on your phone every once. So just to kind of remember your 
word for the year. And, and what I realized in, uh, in picking joy as my word and digging into it is I may have bit off more than I can chew uh, with, with choosing this word. And, and the lesson tonight has a subtitle. It's not just how to live with joy. The subtitle is live a life that requires an explanation. The book of Philippians doesn't make much sense. The life of Paul doesn't make much sense. This is referred to as a prison epistle. Does that tell you anything about where he is when he writes this? He is in house arrest in Rome. He's got some freedom, but he's not free to do as he pleases. House arrest, and while he's there, after being arrested, after being beaten and having to be carried by the officers because the mob tried to kill him in Acts chapter 21, he gets, it goes through this whole process to finally get to Rome, and while he's there, he sits and he writes this thank you letter back to the Philippian brethren. And I, You know, if I'm sitting in a Roman jail... And I'm separated from all the people that I love so much. And my freedom's been taken. And I'm going to write back to the home church. I'm not sure this is what I would be writing. I'm not sure I'd be writing, hey, you guys rejoice in the Lord. Hey, you guys be content with, with, with what you have. Hey, and, and guys, it's actually been a good thing that I got arrested, as he says in chapter 1. Paul lived a life that required an explanation. And he's writing to people he loves, as he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, my longed for and beloved brethren. And he even calls them my joy. These are people that he had helped personally, and they had sent financial gifts to him personally. And he's writing to tell them, look, hang in there, finish your race. And he has a whole lot to say about the subject of joy and rejoicing. And so he tells them in verse 2, I plead with you, Agree with one another in the Lord. They got these two sisters that were fighting in the church. And you talk about something that can discourage a local body. It's when, when people don't get along. And, 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 and the NIV actually says, Help these women who have contended at my side. And I wonder if that's almost like a play on words that they used to contend at my side against Satan and now they're contending with one another. And he says, Help them to realize, that just, just to stop the fighting and let's work together. Don't you wish it was that simple sometimes? <laughs> Don't you wish you could just look at people and say, hey, would y'all just get along? Would you guys just knock it off? And he says, here's what he says to help them. He says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who have labored me with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. Help all of these believers realize, what does the end of verse 3 say? That their names are where? In the book of life. I love that it's that phrase that leads into verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Here's point number one. How to live a life of joy. How can I rejoice always? Number one is to realize that if you're a Christian. If you're a baptized believer. Do you know where your name is written? In the book of life. And again, he, Paul is writing to people who are hurting and he's trying to encourage them. And he's trying to help them get along. And he's trying to help them focus on this big picture. And he says, look, if you want to cut through all that and be able to rejoice, remind them their names are in the book of life. When's the last time you just stopped and thought about that thought? That you just kind of let your mind drift off and maybe even pictured it literally in your mind, seeing your name written there in the book of life. Are you rejoicing in that? 
Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two on what we call the limited commission? And they come back and they are so excited. And they're like, Jesus, we have power over snakes. Boy, don't I wish I had that gift, right? <laughs> the, the, the snakes listen to us. The demons listen to us. We were able to command them out and they're, they're so excited. And you remember what Jesus said? He goes, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And I don't know about you, but verse 4 sounds a whole lot like a command to me, doesn't it to you? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's a command, and, and I think I, don't, I know that I am not always taking this passage seriously. Because rejoicing doesn't sound like something you even could command. It sounds kind of too happy. And, and you know, if the command was, hey, don't kill anybody, I, I got that one. But rejoice? Can, can you really command that? Well, does Paul do this, what he, what he does with any other command? Rejoice, and again I say, does Paul say, hey, don't kill anybody? And again I say, don't kill anybody. It, it's almost like he double stacks this phrase because maybe he knows Stubborn people like me and maybe stubborn people like you are going to be wrestling with, well, you don't really mean that, do you? And, and, and you don't mean always, do you? That I've got to rejoice always. And it's almost like, well, look, in case you don't think I'm serious about this, I say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And I'll just tell you, if you're a person like me that that's not natural for all the time, I want you to remember who's writing this. It's the Apostle Paul. And I want you to remember where he's writing from. He's writing from prison. And oh, by the way, Paul didn't live a nice little life. It's not like Paul was so filthy, stinking rich, he didn't have any problems, and he could just make all of his cares go away. Have you ever written, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11? About how he was beaten five times with that, the, the, they received the lashes, the 39 lashes five times, how he was shipwrecked multiple times. And if that's not bad enough, stoned and left for dead. That was Paul's life. And it's almost like he's saying, look, if you're struggling with this, and, 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 and you know, maybe you're wrestling against this, I want you to see this isn't about circumstances. I'm Paul. You know, you guys know me. I'm Paul, and I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit, and I'm the one that suffered all these things. And Paul's like, I can relate. You may think that I, Dan Cheney, can't relate. And maybe that's true, but I'm not the one writing this. It's the inspired Paul. And I'm going to tell you why I think this is such a big deal, brethren, why this rejoicing is such a big deal. God wants to see His children, all of us, filled with joy. And you want to, there's a reason for that. Because when we live lives of joy outside this building, that brings God glory. You know, when you've when you got things going on in your life and you're able to maintain this, it causes people to say, man, what in the world is your secret? Have you not read the news today? Is your head stuck in the sand? And, and, or maybe it's a work situation. Man, everybody else is stressed. And, and when any, everybody else would, would just be totally defeated by this event or this tragedy or this setback, you, you seem so settled about this. How are you doing that? That's what I mean when I say live a life that requires an explanation. It's not that some people are just happier than others. I know some people who have suffered the worst kind of tragedy who are still the most joyful people you've ever met. And you know what, what the secret is? Rejoice, verse 4, in the Lord. 
even if you don't have anything, you are rich in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul can be sitting in a Roman jail and be saying, look, guys, I'm okay. And that gift that you sent, as you read on later on in chapter 4, that gift that you sent was great, but you know what? Even if I wouldn't have received it, I'd have been okay. People should see that in us. People ought to see joy and peace in us. And, 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 and you know one of the greatest compliments you can receive, I think, as a, as a family and as a dad? And maybe you've had this. Maybe you, you, we try to be a family that I've followed in my dad's footsteps. That we try to make our house a house where the kids always felt comfortable to come and hang out. And I think one of the, the, the best compliments maybe that you can receive is, man, I wish I was part of your family. You ever had kids come to your house and say that? Like, man, it's just... I, you know, it may, I, I can tell you, my kids have said it about people we've worshipped with. Other than the day that Clay uh, had Tyler come over to the house, and they were going to feed him lunch, but they had to stack wood first, and Clay taught my, I think, about seven-year-old son at the time, if a man doesn't work, neither let him eat. That might have been the one exception where Tyler <laughs> didn't want to necessarily be part of the Bethay family, because uh, he had to stack wood before he got to eat. But you know, you ever had people say, I've heard, I've heard people say it about my dad when we were growing up, man, I wish I had your dad. you got to see the same thing work spiritually. When people see a joy about you and a peace, when they see your contentment, it, it makes them want to ask, what's your secret? And it gives you a wonderful opportunity to say, let me tell you what it is. It's Jesus, and it's this family of God. And people will see that in us and will say, I wish I had your father. I wish I had your family. You see where I'm going with this? When they see your love and they see your peace, maybe even though you lost a job, maybe even you didn't get what you hoped for, maybe you lost somebody that was really close to you that you cared about, and even though you may have every reason to be miserable and somehow by your focus and love and trust and adoration of Jesus, people look at you and say, how are you okay with all of this? And, and you're not just okay, but, but you even have joy. I sure wish I had your father. I wish I could be part of your family. Is that the picture of the child of God that you're giving to the world? And I'm going to tell you, that's why he commands it, brethren, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. This isn't a gift that's given. Joy is not a talent. It's not a natural part of your personality. It's a choice. It's a choice I make regardless of circumstances because of the connection that I have with Jesus Christ. And primarily that my name, verse 3, is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's why Paul says you can rejoice always because your name is written there. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, this version says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is there. Does anybody have anything different than gentleness? Do some of your versions have reasonableness maybe there? Um, Moderation. Your moderation. Some other versions say, let how considerate you are. And, and first of all, let's look at the scope. Who all is supposed to see your gentleness or your moderation or your reasonableness? Let it be known to all men. What should be evident to everybody about you? Everyone should see that you are a gentle or re reasonable person. What it means is you're not reactionary. 
What it means is that, that when things happen to us, we don't fly off the handle. Everyone should know you. If you're a believer, everyone should know that you're a joyful person and that you are a gentle or reasonable person. Something difficult happens, something you don't like happens, something contrary to your thought process happens. You don't fly off the handle like everybody else. You're not reactionary. You don't stress out like the natural man. You take it and look like, oh, okay, you know, I don't like this, but okay, we, we're going to deal with this. And people are going to say, how do you do that? How do you just take that deep breath in that moment and be reasonable or gentle? Well, the secret's at the end of verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And how does he finish it? The Lord is at hand. And, and I think maybe that statement can be taken two different ways. About why I can be gentle in any circumstances. Because the Lord... One, remember my judge is coming back. So be careful how you respond in this moment. I, I think it would be one of... But I think there's a, a, another way and a very positive way to take it. This You want to know why we don't, as Christians, get upset about a lot of things? What's the Lord is at hand? What's it really talking about? Isn't it talking about the return of Jesus? The Lord is at hand? That's what he just talked about at the end of chapter 3. It's not like this is a blind leap. He says in chapter 3 and verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, which we eagerly wait for. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And He's going to transform our bodies into conformity with His... And, and, and so it's like this picture is, is you want to know why we don't get stressed out by a lot of things that happen to us? Is because we know Jesus is coming back. And you want to know why He's coming back? To take us home. That's what chapter 3 and verse 20 means when it says our citizenship is in heaven. You want to know where you belong? You want to know where home is? For a kid that grew up moving all his life, that was always kind of something I longed for. Maybe that's why I have such a special connection with Perry because it's where I live longer than where I've ever lived. My wife was blessed to live in the same house for her entire life. Wow. That ain't me. You want to know where home is? It ain't Jessup, Georgia. It's not Perry, Florida. It's heaven. The Lord is coming back. And when He comes back, He's not coming as a baby in a manger anymore. He's coming back on the white, as a white knight on His white horse to take all of us home. And that powerful truth, that truth, that fact that Jesus is coming back causes us to be able to say, look, no matter what happens, hey, hey, this is all temporary anyway. And when we get to heaven, how small is some of this stuff going to seem? I can't wait to get to heaven and have some of these conversations with people. You didn't have a great day today, right? How small is today going to feel when you're on the beginning of forever and eternity? I, I, I know the moment's going to happen because I know we're not married or given in marriage in heaven, Jesus says, but I have a feeling that my wife and I are going to be there. And I just, I just know she's going to walk over to me. I'm just wait. I know this moment is, you know, it's kind of like the, the eternal I told you so. And she's going to come. And after we've basked in God's glory for a little bit, and as we've done in Revelation 22, and we've got to see his face, I just know it that Alicia's going to walk up to me and say, you remember when you were freaking out about that? You remember when you were letting that one issue stress you out so bad? How big of a deal does that seem now? We're going somewhere, brethren. 
And I'll tell you, this is a perfect passage for our country right now. People are freaking out about finances. They're freaking out about Trump. They're freaking out about ISIS. They're freaking out about finances and racism and illegal immigration, building a wall. And I tell you, it is a great opportunity for us, brethren, to be a voice of joy and a voice of peace and a voice of gentleness and reasonableness. Where we can live lives that require an explanation. And when people see that, it gives you an opportunity to say, well, let me just tell you about my father. And so because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and because, verse 5, the Lord is coming again, and the Lord's coming is at hand, he says, because of that, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. What are you worried about? You worried about how much equity is in your house? worried about the future of the stock market? you worried about Christian rights in this country? you worried about who's using what bathroom, where your kids are going to go to college? you worried about your career? you worried about insurance? you worried about pre-existing conditions? I want you to picture. I want you to, I want you to imagine in your mind with me tonight. I want you to, 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 to just imagine. Imagine if from right now, this moment, tonight, imagine if from right now until the day you died, you never again worried about a single thing. Can you imagine that? What type of person would you be? How much happier would you be? How much more would people enjoy being around you? <clears throat> How many fewer wrinkles would you have or save? <laughs> and, and I see some of your faces and I hear you and I see you wrestling and saying, well, that's not realistic. Wouldn't that be nice? Brethren, does this sound like a command to you or not? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And we look at that and we say, that's impossible. We look at don't be anxious for anything, and we say, that's impossible. But we don't do that with any other biblical command. It's not like if I say, hey, don't murder. None of you say, yeah, right, like I could go my whole life without killing somebody, right? So why when Paul, an inspired author, says rejoice always, why do we have this resistance? Why do I? Do you understand? Joy in your life is God's will for you. We've got to start seeing it as God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 17, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Listen to it. For this is God's will for you. It is God's will for us to rejoice always. And if it's His will for us, if it's what He wants from us, and if He's inspired us and commanded us by this guy, then it really is possible. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's almost like God is saying through Paul, his author, it's like, I don't want to look down there and see my children stressed out all the time. You know? God doesn't want to look down and see His children just, just frantic on earth. I don't want to see that in my own kids. You know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to, our home environment to be that my kids have to stress. Is dad going to pay the bills? Is dad going to let us eat today? Is dad going to even let us in the house? Are mom and dad going to argue today? And I want, to just, I want to look at my kids and I want to be able to say, look, I got this. Tyler, Brooke, Taylor, I got this. I'll take care of the big stuff. You know what I mean? That's my job. 
That's what God has given me is to call. That's my job. You know what your job is as a young person? <clears throat> Enjoy life in the days of your youth. One of my favorite things that my dad did for me, and this is where my dad's philosophy and Clay Bethay's philosophy is a little bit different. But my dad told me when I was about 13 years old, and I was trying to mow lawns and do various things. He says, you know what, Dan? You're going to work for the rest of your life. He didn't know I was going to be a preacher, did he? <laughs> I know that's what you're thinking, jerk. You know, he says, look, he said, Dan, you're going to have to work a job for the rest of your life. So, I'll take care of this now. If you want to go out to the movies, I'll take care of that. You enjoy your life. I'll take care of the heavy stuff. You know, and that's what I, I try to, I want my kids to know, look, I'll take care of the heavy, you know, you go to school and, and, and you, you know, throw a ball with your friend, you know, go poke one of your friends in the ribs and run off giggling, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> spread your joy. And you can do that and you have, you have the freedom and, and the push to do that because your dad, I got this. I want everybody to know that I'm going to take care of my kids. I want my kids to know that so much so that it empowers my children to go get, live lives where they are, they are able and willing and wanting to stretch their wings and push the limits of their spirituality and, and willing to take risks for Jesus' sake because they know that even if I fall, Dad's God's. So we can take risks for the kingdom's sake. And I think God says the very same thing to us. I don't want you worrying about anything. I want you believing that I, your Heavenly Father, am in control of everything. And I need everything. And if I'm in control of everything, you don't worry. It's almost like God's looking down and saying, look, I started all this. I created all this. Do you think I'm not still in control? So don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. I'll take care of that. You seek first the kingdom and my righteousness. Because God's looking down and saying, I know how this ends. I got this. So you go rejoice. You go live a life of joy. You go, you go let your joy be spread. And when you do that, I'll be glorified. And when the world looks at you in spite of circumstances, I'm saying in spite of circumstances, in spite of rough days, in spite of losses, in spite of tragedies, that you still have this joy and satisfaction and contentment in your relationship with Jesus Christ, that other people will see that and they will want that. And it'll just be one more way that God receives glory. And it'll just be another tool that God will use to bring souls to himself. And I see it, and I know some of you are still fighting that. Even though your name's written in the book of life, even though you know Jesus is coming back again, even though he says, I don't want you to worry, so that's not enough, part B of chapter 6. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Look, if you're still feeling overwhelmed, if your name being in the book of life isn't enough for you to be happy, and, re and find joy, if the command of rejoicing is not enough, if Jesus coming back to take us home isn't enough for you, look, I get it. In those low moments, I get it. But when you get there, here's what God says. When you get there, just tell me about it. Let your request be made known to me. Talk to me about it. 
Give it to me and then don't worry about it anymore. You know what I mean? Give it to God and, and let it be done. Talk to me about it. Let that remind you. Let that recharge you. Let knowing the God that you're talking to, that he's in control of it, let that recharge you. Let that confirm reality of his truth and his power. And then you go live a life of joy again. You go seek the kingdom with your whole heart. And if you'll do that, if we'll let God fight our battles, if we'll let our request be known to God, verse 7, there will be a peace of God we will receive that surpasses all understanding and it'll guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Where does worry start? Right here. And then when I let it fester, where does worry go? Right here. And so God is giving us this command, but he's arming us with pictures, these reality, these truths that your name's in the book of life and Jesus is coming back. And, 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 and so you can rejoice and you can talk to me about anything. In fact, he commands it through Peter, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. So you, if you are overwhelmed, you come talk to me. And when you've talked to me, you'll find, you'll realize that there's this peace of God and my peace will guard your hearts and it'll guard your minds because of what Jesus has done. That's the recipe. You want to know the times that I have the least amount of peace in my life? It's when I'm not in control. Right? Anybody else there? <laughs> when I'm in control, we're good. Right? When I'm behind the steering wheel, I don't worry about anything. Let my wife be at the steering wheel. And there's times that she's like, Dan, I have driven before. And the last time I checked, my driving record's a little bit better than yours. You know what I mean? I got a 13-year-old. I don't even want to imagine teaching them how to drive. Oh, can you come home and teach my kids? You know, that. the times that I have the least amount of peace is when I don't feel like I'm in control. Okay. How much control does God have? Do you think there's ever a time where God says, wait, I didn't expect that? Does that ever happen with God? It is perfect foreknowledge? No. It never is. I didn't know it was going to work out like that. God is all-powerful. He is the creator. He's the one that started the whole thing. God knows the end from the beginning. God has truly got this. There's never a time where God is not in control. And so the closer I get to him, the less stress we will have. And the more peace we will find. And when other people are losing their minds, we're not. We have this reasonable about us. It's evident to everybody. And the picture I get when he says you have a peace that surpasses understanding, it's not just that, well, you're just a little bit more peaceful than everybody else. We're not just a little bit more content than everybody else. We're not just a little bit happier, full of joy than everybody else. People should be overwhelmed by our calmness and our joy. That's what I mean when I say live a life that requires explanation. Paul did. Paul writes in this letter, he says, look, I'm good whether i got a lot or a little. I have learned in all circumstances to be content. I'm okay. In fact, guys, I'm awesome. 
In fact, he says, and I wish we had the time to go back and read in chapter 1 where he says, look, I got arrested, and that actually ended up being great because you want to know what? There are saints in Caesar's household. Did you know that? As a result of Paul getting thrown in jail and going to Rome, he says there are now saints, baptized believers in Caesar's household. And he goes on to say, and me getting arrested has given other believers more, more power, more boldness to go preach the gospel because they've seen God's taking care of me. And, so now, and all of this that could have been tragedy and overwhelming and awful, God, Paul says, hey, God's been in control of all of it. Brethren, we have a great opportunity to glorify God. And I'll tell you, if this hasn't been you, if what we've been talking about, if you're not naturally a joyful or peaceful person, well, here's the thing. That's kind of the whole point. It's not natural. Most of the Bible talks about not being a natural man. In fact, part of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is fruit of the Spirit. And so if that's not been you, you have an awesome opportunity to give glory to God and win souls for Jesus. Because if you're the person that usually overreacts, if you're the person that usually rushes to judgmentalism or negativity, you've got an opportunity. Because when you start applying Philippians chapter 4, your family will notice. Your co-workers will notice. This community will notice. And they're going to say, Man, what happened to you? I've never seen you so happy before. Or, you know, whenever this kind of thing happened before, you always kind of got angry about it. You kind of lost it. What happened? And here's your answer. Jesus did. This Father that I have changed everything. This Savior that I have, let me tell you about it. There's still rough days. There's still days that I get, I get teary-eyed thinking about you know, people we've lost and things like that. But you know, in general, I'm way better. Because I know that the Lord is at hand. He is coming again. And I know that my name is written in His book of is yours. If you're not a Christian, if you've not been baptized into Jesus Christ where all spiritual blessings are found, man, you got an awesome opportunity tonight. That whatever baggage you carried into this building, you can leave at the bottom of that baptistry with your old man that you'll put to you'll put to death and you'll rise to walk in newness of life. And here's here's the thing. Brethren, because I think a lot of you are probably already Christians. Did you know that prayer is as powerful for the Christian as baptism is for the non-Christian? That if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And maybe if you've come tonight and you've been carrying a load, and you've been maybe overwhelmed, or you've been letting various things get to you, and, and we can we can fulfill Philippians chapter four and let our request we can let your request be made known to God. We can huddle together, we can wrap our arms together, and we will talk to God on your behalf, and you can walk out of this building tonight with that burden off your shoulders, and you can let God carry it for a while. So if that's something that you need, man, I would love to pray for you tonight. And maybe it's not something you feel comfortable sharing publicly. I tell you what, while we sing this invitation song, 
you can talk to God about it. You can go ahead and take this moment out and you can give it to Him now. And if you need encouragement, that's what your church family is here for. If we can assist you, won't you come as we stand and we'll sing.